Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we're, we're about to jump into a great conversation with a fantastic filmmaker. But uh, before before we do, uh, we had a little bit of house cleaning. Joe, you were telling me before, you've got a book that you loved. Well, I, I you're, you're a Philly guy, right? A, a funny guy? Philly. A Philly guy, yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm a Philly uh, guy. Well, I, I, I read this book that I think you would like. It's called The Phantom of Skid Row uh, by Harry Ringel. And uh, he sent me the galleys of this book uh, about, I don't know, almost a year ago. And, uh, and I, I thought it was really interesting, but I, I, I deleted it <laughs> before I got to the oh. end. And, uh, and so he, it's now published, and uh, you can find it on Amazon. And he's, he sent me a copy of the book. And it's a very interesting, um, creepy uh, story about a, uh, a haunted grindhouse in 1960s Philadelphia. And I happen to have some expertise on that. I was going to say, yes. Are, I, is young Joe Dante in this book? Uh, no, no, but I, but I, <laughs> he could be if he was a little more obese. Um, it's, a, it's a really offbeat book, and it's very well written, and it's kind of moving. Uh, but it's also scary. And um, it's the ambience, uh, the seedy ambience of, of that era of the, the the dying film row in Philadelphia uh, is really very well caught, and um, anyway, I, I I did a blurb for it on Amazon, uh, but I, I I recommend it, and I I, I can send you a copy if you. Oh, wonderful! I, I I'll I'll do it more. I will buy it. I, we we like to support people who are uh, okay. Not not making millions of dollars through their craft, which I don't know if people know this, but writing books is not a way to get rich in 2022. So I'm a <laughs> huge fan of paying for their work when I have to. But um, but uh, great, cool, thank you. But by the way, before we get into it, speaking of things you don't have to pay for, though, uh, if you're in Los Angeles on March 28th, um, uh, my personal friend and friend of the show, Adam Rifkin, and I have. Is it safe to say, Joe, we've made a movie of sorts? You have concocted a movie. We have concocted a movie, let's say. I cannot say more than that. Um, I like to think we, it was a labor of love. We did it to bring some joy into the world at a time when probably we could use a little more of that. Uh, my friend Joe Dante has seen it. I believe he liked it. He said very nice things. Um, I laughed. <laughs> that's well, a good reaction, isn't it? That is all we ask. <laughs> um, if you're in Los Angeles, March 28th, the American Cinematheque in Los Feliz will be screening it at 10 p.m., for free, just show up. We will be there. Uh, Jonah Ray will be doing a Q&A with both of us uh, afterwards, because believe me, um, if you don't run out in horror, you will have questions and he will ask them. So uh, we'd love to see you there. It's a lot of fun. So without further ado, let's get to the show. We were just discussing how much fun it is to do these uh, these press things where you have to answer the same question 300 times. and. Um... <laughs> And this is an opportunity for me to do something else with, exactly. with two amazing filmmakers. Here. Exactly. Oh, this, is, you, hey. this is not a junket. You don't have to, you don't have to, yeah. you know, you don't have to talk about how you got all those people to stand still. <laughs> <for some laughs> don't, don't, don't. 
Oh, thank you, God. You've been through this. Listen, am I correct? So, Josh, you wrote History of Violence, someone told me. Is this correct? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Oh, yeah. man, what a fucking great... Sorry, I'm first swearing. I probably shouldn't. No, no, this it's okay. No, no, we're wide open. You've heard transgressive worse. Transgressive human cinema. It's amazing. Oh. And Joel, big fan of yours. You know, Gremlin's seen probably 10 times. We could probably ramble on about Inner Space, a film yes. I just... I was obsessed with as a kid and, you know, lots of other movies for both of you. So thank you so much for having me. Seriously. No, that's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm, uh, yeah, no, I really, really psyched. I, I, um, you know, I think I saw the trailer for your film and it's not like that sort of movie or the movie that it presented itself at as repels me, but they're not the kind of movies that compel me, if you know what mm -hmm, I mean. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, okay, fine. I don't know. I guess, well, but my wife will enjoy this maybe. And then it starts getting, you know, uh, and, 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 and for some reason it kept popping up in kind of my social media before it had come out. Mm -hmm. I think um, there's nothing I love more than sitting down and watching a movie. I think I'm going to barely tolerate and falling completely in love with it. Um, oh man, thank <laughs> you just, so much. It was such a great experience. It's such an incredible film. And, and uh, she's, and she's so good. I mean, yeah, yeah. Renata Reinsway. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks is she for, still talking? Uh, is she, does she return your calls now or is she, yeah, is she, uh, is she, she too flew, big she, to talk she, to you? She flew away. No, I mean, yeah. to be honest, we're very good friends uh, and we've okay. been through this journey together and we're meeting in London tomorrow where she is nominated for a Best Actress BAFTA and yes, yes. the film, film for Best International nomination. So we're excited. We're still traveling together and, and, Fantastic. You know, and I'm just happy. Thank you guys for, for noticing her performance. And, oh, and you know, exactly. I think she is, she is carrying the film very much. And, um, yeah. And together with, with also Anders Danielson Lee and Herbert Nordgren, I, I'm very pleased with the performances in this one. And it's, you know, it's, it was kind of the kick of doing this it was a lot about the character work and stuff. So. Yeah. And also, you have one of the first psychedelic trip sequences I've seen in a movie in years. Really? Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. Kind, of, yeah. kind of, yes, that's true. No, but we can talk. I mean, listen, we can talk about that as well, because I come from an extremely varied fascination of cinema and movies and all that. You know, like, I completely, since I was a kid, have just watched all kinds of strange things. And, and you know, someone was saying to me, like, you know, so what are the references for this film? And I was like... Uh, to be honest, it could be all the way from Cheech and Chong till Ingmar Bergman. You know, like it's I, I, I'm inspired by all kinds of weird things. So like mushroom trips. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm curious about psychedelia. Sure. And the and, and of course, the cat, you know, the, the, yeah, of course. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. It's, and the fact that he comes back is just great. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but, but can I, so let me just start by also saying, uh, thank you for inviting me to talk about, you know, the, the sort of the films that inspired her and made me as a filmmaker, but also, you know, I, I don't divide between being a human being and a filmmaker because I'm such a film buff. So I'm sure you feel the same. The stuff that I grew up watching shaped me not only in what I wanted to do, but obviously gave me perspective on life and my fellow human beings and all that's, that. So that's the hope, so, right? Yeah, that, no, that exactly. Will... And and we got to believe in that. It, that that movies can do that to us. It can can create a less lonely space to exist, and you know, like ways of communicating and seeing other cultures and all that wonderful stuff. But so I was told up front because everything happened quite quickly, and I I just couldn't. I had to jump at the opportunity to be a part of this. So what I did was I sent you guys some lists <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if you we, received, 
Did you? Oh, we, we got we got that. Well, the last the last thing we heard is uh, he doesn't have time to make a list, but here's some articles on movies he likes. Oh, but I, what I did was I sent three lists. <laughs> oh, do you say, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, Wonderful. so so one of them is like uh, sight and sound top ten, very serious, right. and but the other side of the spectrum, there was a guilty pleasures yes. article recently published in uh, Film Comment, also a very very you know. A sophisticated film magazine but where i went a bit honest about my broader taste and and uh, so anyway you guys i would love to talk freely like yeah no no we, i'm like a scandinavian we gotta like be all about antonioni even though that stuff is very important to me and to i you know no it's one of my I, I remember and i want years and years ago going to some screening uh the skirball center i don't know if they still do those and it was a, a filmmaker i admire and they were interviewing him about uh, his his new film, and oh, he was introducing a, a film by I think it was a Bergman film, and he was talking about sort of the movies that he loved that had inspired him, and he, you know, his favorite filmmakers were uh, Bergman, Kurosawa, uh, Godard, you know, and sort of down the list. And you're sitting there, and you're like, yeah, those are all great. Don't you have a? Is there like a movie that you know you're not supposed to like that you just love passionately or something? And it was just, and in fact, somebody asked him that at one point. He said, no, 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 I, these, these are my, these are my gods. And I thought, and it really affected the way I've looked at every movie he's made since then, that, that, you know, there wasn't a single, you know, dopey werewolf movie or, you know. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can, I, can I try a theory? Okay. Sure, okay. Sure. Since I'm talking to you guys and I, I feel, so I see uh, an alliance you see, between uh, the kind of European art movies and the American cult cinema. Yes. It's the stuff that, in a strange way, growing up kind of outside of both those worlds in what I call sort of the suburbs of Europe, Norway, mm -hmm. we were very, very, you know, I would read subtitles on any film. Nothing was dubbed. So right. if I watched, uh, you know, Back to the Future, which I adored and went to see time and time again, or whether later in my life I, I went to see Alain René's uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour, one of my all-time favorites. They were both experiences of going into a dark cinema, probably uh, understanding a little bit more about something that wasn't quite mainstream, even though a film like Back to the Future it was a mainstream hit. It, like the people that came to see it again and then would watch it again on VHS and talk about it and talk about oh the time layering and the the, 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 the references back to old Americana and culture and blah, blah, blah. Like there's this alliance of watching horror movies and art movies that's about going to find that cinema, which is not extremely, you know, that everyone watched that same day in the cinemas, the blockbusters. Right. So I feel that there is that alliance still of someone wanting to see where you can tweak and stretch and bend the format of it. Yeah, I, I, I agree entirely because it's always it's always the movies. I mean, I hate to say at the edges because they're not. But you know what I mean? It's, it's but I the... like that. I come from punk, you know, and hip hop and underground culture and all that and strange comic books that, you know, probably I wouldn't dare say I'd read today. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I come from that. I come from wanting to find. Yeah the human variation the weird things the off things that as you say the, the edgy the marg the marginal i think that's also cool to have that's, that's, a that's, footing that's, in that that's why it's so much fun when a bird when a filmmaker like bergman makes something like hour of the wolf yes and you say well why is he doing the horror picture you know, well, actually, a lot of his movies are horror pictures. i agree <laughs> it just depends on what you you know what you what your definition is uh, but for a long time uh, science fiction was something that uh, quote, good filmmakers didn't do. 
And then of course, you know, 2001 came along and now it was like, oh, now, now we can all do that, you know? And so some of the most interesting movies in the past 20 years have been these dystopic versions of what's going to happen and, and what and what's happening now, some of it. Uh, and the, the, the lines have blurred between what was a mainstream movie and what was a cult movie because they both inter, uh, they both both um, influenced each other to the point where filmmakers like yourself are now uh, people who are you know doing a mixed master blend of all the things that they were you know exposed to when they were um, becoming filmmakers yeah. yeah. No, that makes complete sense. I think that's what's going on. And the, uh, there used to be a sense of purism. Yeah. And a part of me, as I'm now, uh, you know, in my late 40s, a part of me wants there to be a sense of canon. And I do care a lot about sometimes publishing lists, even though it's impossible because, it, you know, I could have put 5,000 films on there. But there is sometimes this sense of responsibility that I feel to be that guy who's someone big brother was in my generation who said listen listen there's the guy called tarkovsky he's russian that sounds weird to you but listen watch his movies and you're going to see like a world that you'll never forget which happened to me i i watched the mirror or a stalker which is also kind of a sci-fi mm -hmm. but done in russia in the 70s and you would have a sense of a cinematic gaze like a way of looking at things the way of looking at plants and humans and shit that I had around me every day, but I hadn't seen it like that, you know? So I feel that responsibility. On the other hand, uh, as Joe was just pointing out very accurately, things are blending and blurring. And, and, and I, I, I suppose talking to a lot of young, curious people about music and films and stuff that this, this purism of, oh, oh, I'm the person who only watched this kind of movie has right. kind of disappeared. And there's a joy and a freedom to that. So I'm not going to be the old grumpy guy who sits yeah. there and says, oh, you got to, you know, only watch this or that. I, I think that kind of thing is actually what happened to me growing up is that I, I, guilty or not, discovered a lot of weird, varied things that I still enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I got to, to that. We uh, we just watched for the first time in a couple of years, Soylent Green, which I had seen, you know, a couple of times as a child. And, you know, it was always a movie in my head. It was like, oh, it's a pretty good dopey science fiction thing. And I have you guys watched that movie recently? No, uh, I, I mean, I felt like I saw way back. That's but that's the that's the sort of futuristic dystopic. What has happened to the world? What what was well, it's, it's always like a problem. With it's 2022. And literally the only thing yeah. the only thing that they get wrong is that there's something like 40 million people living in New York. It's not quite that bad yet, but it's astonishing how on the mark so much of it is. Yeah. But it's also it's an amazing film. It's incredibly moving. And Charlton Heston, I've never seen him give a performance like this. I think just putting him in a room with Edward G. Robinson, who I guess they knew was dying, may have kicked that off. But I'm watching this film and I thought if this movie came out today, it would be a movie that's talked about in the same way that so many of the kind of films that are being nominated this year are. But back then in, in whatever it was, 72, 73, I mean, it's not, you're out of your mind. No one's going to talk about this movie seriously. You know, but it's I highly recommend it. It's it's not a it's not a cheerful experience. No, no, no but, I have uh, seen it on VHS yeah. way back. I remember, yeah, Charleston. Yeah, uh, no, there was a lot of those. You know, you, we, we, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think this is the wonderful thing when when Doctor Strangelove is is scary and accurate again. You know, we never want that film to be 
again revived for its theme only for its wonderful cinema but you know some some of the classics we need to see again and and try to find dark humor and or or uh, be able to sustain the, the terrible times that we live in you know so i i yeah no i i, I understand so i'm green let's have a look at that again yeah no check it out it's uh, even to the opening shots where people are wearing masks over their faces <laughs> it's kind of wow. incredible but yeah let's talk about some you want to you want to uh just plunge in yeah throw out a title and we'll oh uh, yeah right. so so yeah no i i think <laughs> so so let's start in that kind of artsy fartsy end that i i grew up in as i had decided to become a director you know i think there were there was this thing that we should not take lightly that a lot of filmmakers feel is that you get very concerned with the craft so the craft starts getting moving to you like you watch films made in a particular way cut in a particular way shot in a particular way and you you get moved by it emotionally because you're exploring the possibilities of cinema as a young filmmaker so the, the filmmakers i looked at a lot were people that were dealing with montage and editing you know i grew up with uh a lot of stuff on mtv that i felt was cool but I hadn't seen it applied properly to cinema until I discovered people like Alain René, who did Hiroshima and Amour, and mm -hmm. last year at Marion, but which were really examples of using and stretching, like how you could cut and be radical, going all the way back to, you know, uh, Russian formalism and, and, and Eisenstein, and, and thinking that I had grown up with a lot of virtues. I come from a filmmaking family, so let's put that out there. My grandfather, Eric Lurkin, on my my mother's father was a filmmaker who who was um, a part of the resistance during the war, where Norway was occupied by Germany, and he did he he barely survived and was quite traumatized by that experience to say the least. Uh, and uh, he turned into he he became a jazz musician for a while, I think kind of to create something that had life in it, made him survive. And then he made a film in 1959 called The Hunt which went to main competition can and it that's kind of that was not what would happen to a norwegian filmmaker at the time so eric look and my grandfather suddenly in can in 1960 and vincent minnelli is there bergman is there you know all the great film i mean wow. if you look like bunuel was there and people were saying to my my grandfather who made his first film oh you're doing new wave french new wave or like nouvelle vague and he said oh i just call it jazz movies <laughs> and so that. he came back there was no not an infrastructure so he only made one more film in his his life oh. in 1970 um called remonstrance or mult for the stealing in norwegian and he was very um political and kind of left-wing and, and norway was a, during the cold war was a nato country bordering to russia so you can imagine we people were scared and worried and anxious about like what is what is going to happen to the world and he made a film called remonstrance which all the five reels and for the young people out there a film would usually come in five reels <laughs> if it was 90 more around 90 minutes <laughs> those could be shown in any order and oh, it still wow. makes sense. So he wanted to invite the audience to say, like, what is going to be today's version of this film? And it would still kind of make sense as a story. <laughs> so I grew up with, and, and then, you know, uh, at some point he worked with a Danish sound designer, my dad, and said to his daughter, my mom, like, don't hang out with the Danish sound designer. <laughs> and of course, like a few years later, I was born. So, and my mom made documentaries. So I'm very sort of inbred into movies. Okay, long sidebar there to get to the point of, of montage cinema. I was 
in one way, growing up admiring the possibilities of film form, like how you do it, how you cut, how you put it together. But on the other hand, there was also the virtue around me of humanist cinema, like real time, presence of characters, all that stuff. So to me, when I was like in my late teens to discover that there was something kind of punk about applying some of that MTV stuff, but doing it properly, I also discovered people like Nicholas Rogue, a film like Don't Look Now is one oh, of my yeah. all time favorites because it's, yeah, it's entertaining, it's hip, it's a, it's a kind of a horror movie, Daphne de Maurier adaptation, uh, Julie Christie, uh, Donald Sutherland, it's cool. 1973, shot a lot in Venice, you know, but at the same time, it, getting touched by the form of it, the way it's put together, the, the, the way that you can almost create philosophical thoughts through the way you cut and jump between time layers and make absurd notions of reality through the montage sequences. I thought that was, for a long time, I thought like that's a strand of cinema that is really both quite pop and interesting and entertaining yet it's also quite philosophical because you you start thinking like all right how is time how is perception the clock shows us one way of time going forward but our emotional experience of time is so different you can sit yeah. in a dentist office and just like feel that five minutes lasts for an hour and the other way around you're in love and that evening blasts away in five minutes, yes. you know? So this is, maybe that sounds banal, but in cinema, you can actually work with this as a yeah. material. So that, I think that to me was an entry into, to really the craft of, of a way of looking at cinema. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, it's so um, also in terms of sort of conveying emotion too, it's such a completely powerful emotional experience um i almost every time i watch it i almost forget that it's allegedly a horror film you know it's uh, yeah <laughs> it's uh, oh yeah right. well you know at the time it was uh it, it was notorious for the fact that oh they're really doing it that's right um, yes. which, yeah, yeah, yeah. which, which i think they both denied yeah, but yeah. uh they have but, denied it yeah. but that was yeah. uh that was a, a talking point to sell the movie oh uh, yeah i know but it but it had that um mixture i thought of something as you say it's erotic it's raw it's, it seems direct and and it's it's almost uh yeah yeah you know like oh why are they really making love i heard that rumors when i watched it in the 90s <laughs> even you know the, the rumor was still around on the other hand it's really really well crafted and sophisticated and yeah. and nicholas rogue is someone i was i was fortunate enough to meet him a couple of times really oh. an enthusiastic guy when I, I went to film school at the national film school outside of london in beaconsfield great school had wonderful teachers you know like stephen frears and ian sellers and, and oh. mike lee would come around and talk oh. to us and say how he hated wow. Brissot, and that we would be allowed <laughs> to argue and say no Brissot is the greatest man and he was like no it's so dead and he i like life and you know but it was a great time to be allowed to just meet great filmmakers for me and i was in my my early 20s you know and oh. i met i met uh, nicholas rogue and 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 it was this thing of meeting someone and he realized through through just like a couple of sentences that i was very 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 keen on talking about the stuff that he had grown up kind of representing which was sort of a lot of that kind of pop experimentational thing but also how can you push cinema craft you know so anyway i, I he was a generous i'm so sorry he passed away a, a couple of years ago and it's a big loss to cinema he never fitted quite into the canon because he was right. not quite an american i mean he's british he shot some american films but and he wasn't quite 
a part of the continental European thing either. So he's really, um, yeah, you know, and yeah. Bad Timing is a great film. Walkabout is a great film. I mean, he's made, uh, he, he co-directed the performance with performance. Mick Jagger, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, with, with Donald Camel as a co-director, which is really like a, an incredible, also kind of cult movie. And yeah, anyway, there we go. I think Nicholas Rogue was a big one in, 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 in discovering a type of cinema I was curious about. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's he's absolutely fascinating. And I just realized we, we should do a um, tribute, I hope you don't mind, to another film that's up for uh, a bunch of awards this year. I was thinking uh, we, sh we should do a drive my, uh, uh, drive my car tribute by doing our opening credits halfway through the... <laughs> That's not the first time. That's not the first time. This is the longest we've gone. I, I, we have not. I mean, people know they're listening. They're <laughs> that's, not going. That's not the first time that was done. In, in 491, Vilgot Chilman's movie. Yeah. Uh, the credits don't appear, I think, for, I think, 40 minutes or something like that. <laughs> and then, in fact, the rest of them are interspersed around different parts of the movie. All of a sudden, the first director <laughs> will come up. Wow. But it was that that's kind hilarious. of movie. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. We're talking to Joaquin Trier and uh, uh, director and co-writer of Worst Person in the World, which is up for uh, best international feature film, they call it now. And, uh, Do you think they may have sort of divined this by now? <laughs> yeah, well, oh, yeah, no, I'm sure. I just felt like we have to do it to be. And, you know, we do have a PR person Usually listening in. And she's it's, she's going to be like, they need to mention his name. So that's who oh, we're talking oh, to, oh, in case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, we jumped straight in there. Yeah, that's no, right. <laughs> It's yeah. quite all right. Quite all right. Um, no, but yeah. I love the I, I love the sort of informal spirit of this. I, I can sense you guys are have, have you know you're complete film enthusiasts, which is inspiring to me. It, yeah. it it is literally. I think the one thing we have going for us is that um, you will not hear us talk to somebody we're not interested in talking to. Yeah. Thank you. Thank it's, you. No, uh, no, no. I sense that. My, my <laughs> in lack of a better term, my people told me. Yes. Like, yes. Okay, <laughs> check this out. And then I saw your names and I was like, oh yes, please. You know, and no. So yeah. What are more movies, man? I mean, you know, uh, it's, um, I feel responsible to talk a little bit about Bergman. I don't know. I'm from that part of the world. It know? is. I, yeah. I think it's I'll almost... tell you what I came to Bergman late. So if there are any young listeners out there, who's like, ah, I've seen one or two and it, you know, Keep watching him. As you get older, I've found that he's someone that I've, I've really, really understood more and more the more life experience I had. That sounds a bit trite, but it's true. I 100% so agree. That's been my experience, too. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, Bergman made so many films. So you could always be, and for like I, for example, and, and I, I don't want to say it's a bad film, but it's not my favorite. I saw The Seventh Seal early because that was supposed to be the Bergman film. And Death appears as a person incarnate and talks to someone. And it's quite sort of, and I can understand what they're saying because I understand Swedish. It's almost mm. like Norwegian. And it's quite theatrical in its representation of performances and all that. It's a film from 57, I believe. Mm -hmm. and, you know, But then later... Again, going back to my kind of formalist obsession of my early filmmaking experience, you know, I, I, I saw Persona, which is like a damn deep plunging film about being human and 
those spaces between us that we don't know how to put into words. Like we think we know each other, but there's always a hidden hidden layer behind and behind and behind, you know, like it's really kind of a, talking of, of, of the horror aspect of Bergman that you guys mentioned earlier. It's horrific in a different way. It's horrific in a humanist way, but it's hard to be human. It's hard to be close to each other. And that engaged me. And then looking back at uh, an earlier film like Wild Strawberries, which is much softer, gentler, maybe a, a, an easier film to watch. It still had that deep melancholic, feeling that did I miss something in my life? There was just something, you know, between family relations that I, I didn't see or, and, and those things to me are incredibly touching, emotional things that, so to me, Bergman is a, is a big observer of human things. He's not just like that stylized, cool black and white guy from Sweden. He's also someone that makes very, very, um, almost endearing films because it must be kind of painful to him, for him, I imagine, to have lived a life every year making a film <laughs> and some of them not so great some of the masterpieces about these eternal struggles of being human you know well, remember when did he have a break ever remember if it wasn't for the virgin spring we wouldn't have had last house on the left exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good those both of those are cool both of those are amazing well the thing the thing that really hit me when i sort of finally started doing my dive into him is he can be so goddamn funny yes Yes. Um, and Seven Seal, as you mentioned, that was one I'd, you know, seen way too young and just been baffled by and then went back to again. I was like, this this is, I don't want to say it's a laugh riot, but uh, it's well, a when, lot of, it's when got you're its young, When you're young, death is far away. And when you get a little older, you sort of relate to him. He's like, boom, my favorite <laughs> character. <laughs> Good point. Supposedly his, uh, on Faro, his island, he had his theater and he had a, a film collection. And uh, people apparently have remarked at how frivolous the films that he had seemed to be. Look at all these musicals. I, look at all these. I've comedies. been there. I've actually been there. Yeah. <laughs> no. Let me. Yeah. No. Since you mentioned it, I was invited to be uh, a guest at the Bergman Week, which they were, and I would you know encourage anyone who's interested in Bergman to go to Fora in Sweden and and visit and be taken on the tour to his house and see the VHS collection where with you know like a with pen you can see he's like written down you know terminator 2 <laughs> <laughs> and it's lovely On VHS. And, yeah and he had incredible VHS collections and then uh, to joe's point uh, uh he has a, he, the cinema is still there and since i was a guest of honor they said you can watch two films and we'll we will have his personal prints in there and you walk in there and it's a it's a it's a screening room i think if we had kind of maybe 30 40 seats all all lounge chairs very elegant uh green chairs very sort of and it's made inside a barn it's 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 it's, it's a wonderful little cinema but in the front on the right there's this one chair that has a little note on it and it says in sweden's don't sit here and that was Bergman's chair. And no one is allowed to sit in it. There I am watching Wild Strawberries, which was one of my picks, and with a couple of other people that were guests. And we watched the movie. And it always makes me cry for some reason. I, I cry, I'm a big crier with movies. I allow myself certain emotions in that room of darkness that maybe I'm yeah. shy about in real life. Huh? And the light comes on. And at that moment, it's as if it, it sounds weird. It's like it's if Bergman appears because we're all looking at that chair. <laughs> thinking this is where he sat and watched films and felt what we feel when we watch movies. 
And it was an incredible experience. And I'm so, it's just so smart oh, that they left that chair empty. No one will ever sit in that chair again. That's fantastic. Um, I'm just, I'm sort of stuck on, I, I, I'm just thinking, I can't imagine anything more fun than talking to Bergman about Terminator 2 somehow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but supposedly he was, he was a, just a film buff like we are, you know, he, he watched everything and was curious. That's and, wonderful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that oh, that's that's so great. <laughs> and he would watch a film on print every day uh -huh. at three o'clock when he wasn't shooting in that cinema because he he ended up towards the end of his life just being on that island and and watching films there, uh, and making some films once in a while, you know. And I know I feel and and the the thing to be quite frank, this is how, what a nerd I am. Last time a Scandinavian was nominated for best original screenplay, like Eskil Fuchs, my co-writer, and I am. It was actually Fanny and Alexander back in 83 wow so like and, and to be frank i mean you know i i'm sure people will forgive me i don't mean this in a bragging way i i it's just to, to like when we were told when it was announced i was sitting next to eskil and that was one of the first things that we talked about was like oh my god we broke out of international in the way that you know in scandinavia very few people have you know thomas winterberg last year with with um Another round was nominated for for a wonderful film was nominated for directing, but it it rarely happens. But Bergman used to occasionally yeah, have the, these nominations. Yep. So yeah, no, be be proud of that, man. That's uh, that's wonderful. You got you got to you got to own these things and you got to embrace them and not be afraid to. But it's it's a very Scandinavian thing. We are always shy when something good happens. We feel guilty, right. like we don't deserve anything. And yeah. <laughs> uh, and a good friend of mine, uh, Bjarte Breitag, a great Norwegian writer, said to me, "Listen." Put it on your pouch like a camel, because you'll be walking in the desert any moment again. That's right. Like, like take it in. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm half Swedish, so I, I sort of half get that. But uh, or, so you have a little bit of guilt there. Yeah, the other half is Irish, though. So I will happily, I will happily tell so he you. He just gets drunk and forgets about it. That's right. Tell you, tell you how great I am. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the one that I wear with pride, a uh, great pride, is that the very last uh, movie ever released on VHS was A History of Violence. So. Oh my. God. That's a great, that's a great that's, uh, that's, that's my accomplishment. We killed the medium. <laughs> and let's be clear, I don't miss that medium. Uh, what replaced it was vastly better, which is a, uh, I would say, great opportunity to mention our fantastic sponsors, Movies Unlimited. Many of the movies we talk about here on the show, like the ones we're talking about today with Joaquin, uh, are available at MoviesUnlimited.com, the expert on movies since 1978. Or should we say, the expert on movies since 1978. You're going to find thousands of titles to choose from there. Classics, hard to find stuff, new releases, uh, DVDs, Blu-rays. So you can click the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website or go directly to MoviesUnlimited.com and click on their uh, Movies That Made Me uh, banner. And uh, you can see all the movies that we discuss uh, this week and all the ones we've talked about on every episode. Uh, you can find links to each of them or you can buy them. Um, they are absolutely the best. And it's so much better when you buy your favorites uh, and, and have them. You can hold them in your hand. I mean, you can stream a lot of stuff these days but you can't hold it and you don't know if it'll be there tomorrow. Um, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's usually a ton of great content and bonus features like director's commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodness. Go now to moviesunlimited.com, the movie collector's website where shipping is always free on orders over $50. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can I, can I, can I actually, like, where I was, I've been fortunate enough, uh, if I may, like, I, I met uh, Paul Thomas Anderson the other day, and him and I, oh, I mean, yes. I'm, I'm a huge oh, fan the of lunch. His. The lunch. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, but he actually invited me to his house before that, and he's, he's embraced wow. our film and really been supportive oh, of it. And it means the world to me and my my team, my actors. We adore him, obviously. In my generation, I think in, he's probably the greatest director uh, that we have. And he's continually made personal films that are always unexpected, which yeah. I think is is, is, is wonderful. And yeah. I ended up talking with him the other day about people that we admire and that were important to us. And I, I got to... I got to mention someone that I grew up admiring and that's still around, which is Martin Scorsese. And a film like Goodfellas, when I sit with Eskil and we want to write something, we always think about Goodfellas and the freedom of that film and how tight it is and how wonderful, like the characters are working, the plot's working, the themes are complex. It's actually quite long, but you don't think about it because it's got all these different varied segments and bits and pieces that fit together perfectly. It's sort of like the perfect film. And, and I think, you know, um, Martin Scorsese is still working and he yeah. is to me the bridge to cinema history. The, the, the work that he does uh, bringing old films into prominence time and time again, I've listened to him and watched him talk about movies my whole life in interviews and in documentaries. And, and you know, I, 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 he's, he's, it can't be said how important that man is for film history. And he's one of the yeah. greatest filmmakers of all time, in my opinion. And the way that he's been able to vary and do things that are uh, both sometimes very, you know, like uh, Alice doesn't live very This is humanist, social realist story yeah. of a woman's struggle. And then, you know, uh, you have Cape Fear, which is a kind of a brilliant genre take. Or you have Thank you. The- we, are, we are a minority. Um, I love that movie. I love yeah, that movie to great. death. And no, and, and many of it, like, like, for example, again, you watch the, the timing of careers. It's interesting, as I've now made five films, it's like the next film I'm going to make, I know whatever I do is people are going to be disappointed. It's not what I just did. And I have had this in the past with other films. <laughs> yeah. And I still have like some film people that are like, oh, Oslo, August 31st that you made 10 years ago. You'll never, you know, that's still my favorite. I like the worst person in the world, but that's still my favorite. That's it, it's yes. fine. It's fine. It's all love. It's all, it's all someone caring. But a film that Martin Scorsese did that I really want to talk about is, is The Age of Innocence. I presume mm-hmm. you guys know this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah. It's, it, and it's a film that now people talk more about than perhaps it, it came out after Goodfellas. It was at that era where I think a lot of people wanted him to do gangster movies and that he does so well. But at the same time. Well, yeah, well Goodfellas was, you know, I remember when it came out, he had sort of been through, it wasn't a creative slump, but it was kind of a commercial slump. And, um, you know, I, I mean, Color of Money was successful, but it was sort of, it was odd. It's, it was a sequel to Well, but that was also, that was one of his assignment movies. I mean, yeah. he, that, was, that was a movie he took, as we all do, uh, because, you know, you need a movie. Yeah. And it, and it obviously wasn't a bad project. So he said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Not at all. 
And um, then, yeah, and but then it last... wasn't it wasn't a, a quote Scorsese movie in the sense of, of it emanating from him. Yeah, and then like Last Temptation comes out, which um, was not a you know it was notorious and an amazing film, but it wasn't exactly you know it didn't do much for his career. box office smash. So there's a sort of sense. I remember when it came out, there was almost a sense of like Goodfellas in advance felt a little cynical, you know. It was like him running back to his safe spot to to get back in our good graces or something, and then you see it. <laughs> it's just amazing, yeah, you know. It's, it's incredible. It's like oh, he's not only not out of gas, he's like. He's barely even begun. It, um, yeah, it's an amazing. But, but this is this is interesting because also like Goodfellas, but also Age of Innocence is um, they're not novelistic or literary in the bad way, but in the right, right. way, where he's yeah. taking the opportunity of all the possibilities that we see in novels all the time, like different sense of chapters or different. The temperaments mixed together or or digressions are coming back to the main plot and all that but in cinema you have to think it musically and that's what he does so well and i think actually like the age of innocence is also like if you look at the shots the mise-en-scene the, the construction of the images it's so beautiful but it's also one of the like the few really 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 great uh, adaptations it's edith wharton it's the book that she wrote after Henry James, the great other great American writer, passed away, uh, and where she felt free to almost do her Henry Jamesian uh, novel. And the interesting thing is, Scorsese has just found a way to cinematically match it, and it's that's one of the hardest tasks. And I think that no, it's it's just really a film that I I think people should see, and it, it's kind of a melodramatic in a sense, but it's one of the most melancholic yet beautiful visual films I know, and. Uh, Anyway, I, I have to mention Scorsese. I can't be on this sure. show and not because I love him. Did, did you see it when he came out, like in theater? I did. Or I was did it? actually. Yeah, and, I did. I was quite young, and I, I was, I was moved by it in ways I understood years later. I think it's, it's actually. I mean, it's a film about all of life. It's about those life choices you don't make, and uh, got great performances. You know, it's uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Winona Ryder, and of course in the lead Daniel Day Lewis, who is one of the greatest actors of our time. And and uh, but it's it's gentle. It's gentle. It's also one of the few films that has a female narrator. Uh, of, of there's very few films in history that have that, at, at least in in modern cinema. And it's it's just interesting. Yeah. So it's it's a wonderful film. Yeah, I'm just I'm wondering when you when you went, were you uh, did you have expectations? Were you because um, I remember that that too. It's like what's he doing? It's like he's back and he can do what he wants and he's doing this. This does not seem which is compelling um but it's also it's, yeah because i mean i love the film too but i was uh, quite young and open i think i i became at some point in my 20s i had a phase of of i was more opinionated and hard tough on films and then i realized through making a few of them yeah it does, <laughs> i'm not it does, a critic it certainly <laughs> changes your perspective I, I was a i was a critic on a trade magazine for years and, and i some of the stuff was reprinted later uh, and I had to put a disclaimer on the front saying that if I had known then what I know now, I never would have been so hard on some of these yeah. movies. <laughs> oh man, there's a, there's a, there's a, Charles Baudelaire, the French poet has a quote. If you ask artists what they feel about critics, it's like asking a lamppost how they feel about dogs. 
<laughs> and I think, you know, man, have we all, I'm sure, experienced, you know, some of that. And I, my feeling is that I love to discuss films in a constructive way. And I think that, you know, I, I don't love old movies. I, I can, I can, you know, if we, we had a beer and we sat one night and went at it, I'm sure we could, you know, find some things that we really hated. But, but ultimately, I'm, I'm, my life is better the more I find things to be enthusiastic about. So I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my, that perspective more than anything. Have, so, you, have, you know, you saved, have you saved any of your bad reviews? Uh, no. I, I know they're out there for eternity on the internet now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but now everybody and his brother can, can put a review up on the internet. You know, uh, It's not like just the, the, the stodgy critic. But uh, how do you guys feel about it? To be honest with you, I, I don't read. I have people show me if they're interesting things, people that I love and love me that are around me and my, my, my dear collaborators or family that, oh, my God, you know, uh, A.O. Scott recently in New York Times wrote a, a kind of an essay about something in our film, which is about the fact that uh, one of the characters is talking about cultural objects disappearing. Like we don't have that much vinyl or DVDs. All that, yeah, yeah. And and I was touching, and someone showed that to me, and I was happy because it was about a theme or something. But generally, bad reviews get tattooed on my brain, and I, <laughs> I and I'm too vulnerable. I want to stay vulnerable. I want to stay emotional about making movies, and I have this silly notion that when I make a film, it's like a personal conversation. So I just feel if someone hates it and they're absolutely allowed to, and that that's their job. And that I they hate you, it. right? Yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm left. I left a dinner party where I felt we had a good time. And someone said that that was a boring guy. I don't like that. guy. <laughs> so, you know, that's how that's, silly I am. That's, that's what, so that's what actors put up with all the time when they're going out for auditions. Oh, you know, they're, they're yeah, personally rejected. They don't get the job for any number of reasons, but that they feel that, that they were personally rejected because what else can you feel? It's you come out, you push yourself on the line and they take somebody else. Yeah. So for, for filmmakers, you know, to read critics, if, if you can find a review that, that teaches you something about your movie or, or makes a point that makes sense or, or, or doesn't even maybe like the movie, but has pinpoints a weakness that you would, would like to have been able to figure out before you made the movie. Um, then it's then it's helpful. But for the most part, I, I just since I never got a worse review than the review on the Burbs that said, "quote as empty as a movie can be without actually creating a vacuum." Oh uh, man! And I figured, well, you know, I, I love that you I, cut I, that. I probably can't. Wow. It's, it's ingrained in it's in my head. Yeah. And but I figured we well, can't can't get much worse than that. And and the, the revenge, of course, was that the fact that the movie is now a cult favorite and everybody Completely. thinks it's wonderful, you know. Yeah. But at the time, it was like it was just dog meat. Um, and and that's the other thing is that that you don't know the worth of a movie the week after it comes out. It doesn't. It, it, it everything it is different. No. It takes time, and it, it's like wine. I mean, it needs to gestate. And there's as he was talking about Soylent Green and so movies that were not taken seriously in their day. And now we look back on them and we say, well, this picture had a lot to say. How come nobody noticed? Well, wow. you know, now we get to notice. Well, yeah, I, I, I got to say, not to be a contrarian, but honestly, the, the, I actually, the only time I ever wrote to a critic was um, a, a guy, I think it was David Aaron. I can't remember. Shit, it's been so long, but it was because um, there were a bunch of reviews of history where they, I found them really frustrating because they were sort of reading stuff into it. Not that it wasn't intended. I mean, that's fine. It's not our job to say what the movie has to be, but there was so oh. crazy far off the mark and it all came from a comment one person had made and 
you could see how all these critics are sort of leaping on that. And it was like, that's ridiculous. That's not in there. You can't, you're making this up. And this one critic who had not liked the film and then discounted all of that and then understood it on a level that like none of the people who loved the film got it. Like he didn't pan it, but he just got it. He got every single solitary fucking thing I was trying to do. The fact that it wasn't, he wasn't impressed by it. I didn't care. I was like, you heard me, yeah, great. <laughs> you know, and I, no, and I wrote him a letter. He's like, this is the strangest email I've ever gotten from a filmmaker. <laughs> wow. No, but that's cool. You're cool. I mean, I think that shows a sense of openness and strength that maybe I, I would love to have, you know, <laughs> but uh, calluses, wow. my friend, many calluses. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few bad ones in my life, yeah. but, but also like early my two first films were almost unanimously embraced by critics. So I it got addictive. Right. And then I opened my third film, Louder Than Bombs, at Cannes, main competition. And during one night in Cannes, you know, you, you get 400 reviews. And many of them were good, but some of them were bad. And, uh, and that taught me a lot. I didn't sleep that night. I remember uh. being like going on the internet and reading all these things. I'm like, oh, shit, man. Like, they don't like me. And... It's good. I learned from it, and as you, I think you, you made a great point, Joy. Like the the the, um, the, the actors, I, I know. I, I do auditions. I see a lot of people, and we try to give them love. And and so this is a moment then to say to all the wonderful actors out there, a lot of the time it's just not the right match. That's also most true. of the time. Uh, most of the time, yeah. I, I I say this time time again in Norway because I also like Norway is not so known for good performances, but there are so many good actors out there, even in Norway, you know. Sure. And Renata Reinsvay that we just spoke about, she was someone that had one line of dialogue in a film I made ten years ago, and then got almost nothing. No leads. This is her first lead in any film. Yeah, she's going to be a, okay from here yeah, on. Yeah, no, out. she is. But like, we wrote this for her wow. because we felt hell. And and I've talked to her. She almost stopped acting because she felt that she was rejected so much, and no one wanted her. And so this is this is also the the, the story of of movies. Is a lot of great people don't get to work. So there's, regardless of getting bad reviews or whatever happens, I'm I'm just making another. It's always what we're grateful for, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when they let us. When they yeah. let us. Um, well, give us, give us another. Do you, do you want to? Do you want? Should we do something that's a little? Um, um, I hate the I hate the term, but it was from that article. You know, a guilty pleasure because obviously, who would feel guilt about loving something? But exactly. Uh, uh, no, I, um, I. I. I mean, you know, to be quite honest, there's a lot of things that I grew up with that really shaped me, and I'll give you an example. So, during the '80s. I was a kid in Norway, very democratic, egalitarian society, you know, education is free, healthcare is free. Uh, you're not supposed to necessarily stand up and say, I'm better than anyone else. You know, it's, it's that kind of society. But then at the same time, it was sort of 80s America was pouring through the screens. And I saw fame. I saw films about the meritocratic America. Like I can... I, you know, if you'd work on it, you could do it. And I watched, I was, I was on BMX. So I watched a film like Rat. And I watched a film like Thrashing with Josh Brolin playing a skateboarder who had a competes and he wins the <laughs> skateboard race. Or Flashdance, you know, like about a girl who works as a stripper, but she wants to get into the fancy ballet school. And at the end, she, she works so hard. So she can do it. You can do it, you know. <laughs> and, and those films with synth soundtracks and the beautiful, you know, and, and a lot of great directors uh, made those films. And they were elegant and they were shot almost like commercials. And, and I remember being so seduced by 
And, and, and to this day, I still think, you know, I was Norwegian champion of skateboarding when I was 15. I'm not joking. Oh, wow. I became oh. that kid <laughs> who just wanted, and I wanted to be good. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to go all psychoanalytical on you on why that is in my life. And I'm sure there are reasons, but it also brought me a lot of, of, of experiences that were great. And I believed in that dream sure. out in cold Norway in the winter. I was like, I'm gonna, you know, we, we skated in, in the parking garage house, like in, in, indoors during the winter to get good at it. And we want to be good, you know? So a lot of that American cinema that, that is not, I guess, so popular now looking back, but that meant a lot to me. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, some of that stuff did have sort of great, great direction. There are always moments or there are often moments in those that are better than they should be. Um, I don't know, I, it's sort of on my mind, God, don't ask me why, but, uh, my my wife and I just recently watched the Vanilla Ice movie. You remember this? Cool, cool, cool as ice, yeah. Cool as ice, and yeah, I think yeah. we did because I I heard I, I don't think I saw when it came out. But do you know the cinematographer on Cool as Ice was Joe? No, Janusz Kaminski. No. Oh, really? You wow. can't believe how good this movie <laughs> he did, looks. He, but he was sort of like Laszlo Kovacs and Vilmos Zygmunt. He did a lot of B pictures. Yeah, I mean, he kind of leaps off. I think like the next maybe two features later, he's doing Schindler's List. But you watch this movie, and it's like I'm like, if I were Vanilla Ice, I'd stop doing everything too. I would just I'm like, how do you how do you peak? I, I just watch this movie forever. Look how good I look. Janusz Kaminski shot me. I don't need to do anything else. It's I an amazing looking film. film. It's I terrible. remember that film. No, but you know what? To look at. I thought I thought I was I was probably I was in my mid-teens and learning English, you know? And I remember there was a scene where Vanilla Ice says to the girl, he says like, let's G-O instead of let's go. And I thought that was a cool thing to say. <laughs> so I came to America and I said that and people started laughing. <laughs> let's G-O. I thought that was like a catchphrase and it was just Vanilla Ice being- Just Vanilla Ice. <laughs> the cool Vanilla Ice. That's right. Lose, lose the zero, get with the hero. That was the- <laughs> <laughs> It's an no, astonishing I, film. Respect to that guy. You know, yeah. he had his moment, and he, yes. you know, that was cool. It's huge. But yeah, it's it's crazy to stumble across something like that. And you're just going, "What was going on? What, what is happening?" Oh, this, yeah. and and then you also get completely why Kaminsky got out of that. I mean, it's like this was a guy just primed to be noticed and snatched up by you know Spielberg. But, but how do you guys feel about that? Like, because the idea of guilty pleasure to me is like does it's. Uh, I, I I would I did that article, but yeah. really like half of it is just me saying, how can you feel guilty about the pleasure of watching any movie? Well, that's Unless, what I, that's yeah. what I said when they asked me to do it, and, and I I said I, I gave them a list, and I said I these are I don't feel guilty about any of these movies. I feel guilty about the ones that I left off the list. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great. That's great. Yeah, because they always have these. They always sort of have this. Yeah, guilty pleasures or so bad it's good or these things. I'm like, I, 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 not I reject all like. of that. Yeah, I reject. The, well, movies you're not supposed to like. I guess that that one's at least it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't comment uh, in a pejorative sense on the quality of those actual films. It well, leaves yeah, room yeah, for them to be great. Many but, years ago, Sight and Sound used to have a, a a little column in the 50s. I think it was called Bad Movies That Gave Pleasure, and they would go to various filmmakers and they would ask them to list bad movies that gave pleasure and they would have movies like invasion of the body snatchers on there because there's no way a picture like that could be any good with that with that title right. but it was a good movie and and sure. and so it, it was sort of a a byway into uh respectability for certain genres yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but i think that's what's interesting i mean i i grew up on also a lot of the snl 
post SNL comedies, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, yeah, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of those those films that those guys and and yeah, John Landis and and a lot of a lot of things that came out of that kind of counterculture and humor and kind of satire thing. I think a lot of that meant a lot to me growing up as well. There was a f- feeling of freedom in in a lot of that uh, and being allowed to say strange things that weren't quite what the ad- grown-ups wanted you to say, uh, but it was fun. Yeah, I, I just wish when I was younger I had the ability to sort of shake all that stuff and get, I mean, I, as much as I loved Animal House, you know, I saw it as a kid when it came out, I wish I had had the wherewithal to go. And it's beautifully made too, you know? Yeah, Animal House. It, cool. it felt a little bit like, it's like, hey, this is great trash. This is our trashy thing. You're like, oh, no, it's actually... <laughs> insanely well directed you know no it is it is it's wonderful it's yeah. really really great and i i think i think that's that's you know i but i keep watching these films again i, I mean this is the thing i watch all the contemporary movies a lot obviously i watch try to see everything but i do return back and sometimes i go on these i did a film uh previous to the one that we were talking about today called thelma uh, last yes. three years ago which is my take on a supernatural uh horror in a way and i i i I watched a lot of italian 70s giallo you know like that's it i had like a year when i watched a lot of uh yeah different types of horror movies and cult things and then you have a period where i only watch a lot of i got to see all of kubrick again you know and so i don't know like how do you how you, you guys what's your divide like how many percentage of old stuff do you watch again as opposed to new like how do you to be honest I, I, I lean toward the old uh, just because yeah. there's so many and, and so many of them are now being written on earth movies that haven't been able to be seen in years and certainly not in such great prints and all that. So you, you I revisit movies that, that I, I've always liked, but they never looked as good as they do now because they've the new right. technology and going back to the negatives and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do a lot of that. But, you know, I'm also in the Academy, so I, I, I try to see all the movies on that list no no one everything no one can see all the movies on the list nobody can see all the shorts nobody can see all the animated films they just Uh, i beg i beg to differ and we've had him on the show my good friend daniel waters who wrote heathers um every year watches everything he sees he puts out a list every year of the three to four hundred movies he has watched and he ranks them which is kind of merciless because a lot of times his friends are on that list but um yeah he sees he sees and i, I just got a text from the other day telling me which shorts to watch um right yeah <laughs> no but it's good to have a friend like that it's fantastic to have a friend like yeah, that but somebody's got to curate this yeah. stuff you know? exactly right no he takes it very seriously but uh yeah i mean i don't i go through phases like sometimes we just watch a whole slew of old films as joe says you know the stuff comes out and it looks so good and then and then something will happen and we'll go let's let's binge watch a couple of tv shows and then we'll go through a month or two of just watching new films and and it's sort of but you always feel maybe it's just me i always feel behind the eight ball i always feel like if i'm doing the one thing i'm cheating the other and i need to be spending more time doing the other thing and how do you how do you keep up there's just no no i know i know i know but still uh yeah no but i i, I feel you know as long as we keep watching movies and also going through this the cinema to the theaters I, yeah. I, it's wonderful well, to that's, be that's back sort of there. been on the, that's sort of been on the wane lately yeah we're, we're starting to get back to that here. there are, yeah, we're there are a lot less back. theaters to go to here in los angeles than there used to be yeah no i yeah i we were doing a screening at the landmark two nights ago uh and it was actually sold out and we were so moved that people were sitting 
close together. And, you know, this, this is slowly, we're getting back there. Well, it's and, an experience uh, that we all love and we, the, the movie business has been taking in a lot of money over the years because people's need to be together to experience something in a dark room with strangers. And there's something unique about that. And uh, during the COVID period, um, it was, it was very hard, very tough to go to the movies. Now, if you did go to the movies, they would hardly, you go in the daytime, there would be two people there. But unfortunately, that translates into no box office for pictures like, you know, Guillermo del Toro's new movie, which is really good. Uh, and no, nobody was in the theater. And Edgar Wright's new movie, which is also really good. Nobody was in the theater. And they're sort of not, not on, the, on the radar, uh, which I think they would have been more if people were in the habit of going, going to, movies, to the yeah. theater. But I mean, they showed up for Spider-Man and they showed up for Batman. But then that's, they could have shown up for those five years ago because those kind of movies are, you know, are, are still being made and they're all copies of each other. But the idea of people doing something new and original and interesting and, and offbeat like your film, um, it, it's, it's harder to get people together. And that's why the, the new art, which is the landmark is um, it's a great place to see movies because they, they program well. I was going to say, there's something about, and, and, and uh, shout out to the, the people handling the publicity, uh, for your film, I I felt it was completely unscientific, but I had so many friends who are not huge movie freaks, you know, not in my my movie cohort, but just sort of friends in what do you want to call it, the real world? Shall we say? <laughs> yeah, let's who, call it the real world. <laughs> who were, and you become oblivious because you know you get the Academy Streaming Channel, and like I saw your film, you know, months before all this, and I I didn't even realize that the movie had not come out yet for some time, and there was this whole swell of sort of my non you know, film industry friends who are like, I can't wait to see this movie. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting because it doesn't seem on the surface, you know, I know you're going to love it when you see it, but it doesn't present itself as the kind of thing that you would all go for. And they were all just, they had been I'm somehow so whipped into that. a frenzy. Yeah. No, we're very grateful. There's a, you know, Neon as a distributor and uh, head of Neon, Tom Quinn are just really, uh, Tom Quinn and his gang there is just really enthusiastic and care about, and really, I mean, they had Parasite. You know, which yeah. was kind of a game changer for films with subtitles uh, yeah. or international movies. <laughs> so yes. I, 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 I used to call like, them foreign. Films. Foreign. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I come from a foreign land. Yes. With my film. <laughs> What's it like no, being a foreigner? Foreign. I'm a foreigner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but this is irony, right? Like we're talking about. We watch movies from different places, and but it's just great that it's 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 a habit thing to get used to that subtitles actually suddenly your brain doesn't register. You just got to watch a couple, and then you're like, oh, I can access all of these languages through this technique that my eyes does automatically. And I well, actually, think about it. actually, Netflix is contributing to that because I think so too because they have so many horror, so many subtitled things now. I, I would yeah. expect, yeah, I think that work, that helps actually a lot. That helps a lot. Can I can I ask you about a filmmaker that I also like a lot? I'm, I, I want to ask you, Paul Masursky. You know Paul Masursky. You remember oh, yeah, Paul? Yeah, Masursky. I know Paul. Yeah. You, you did because to be honest with you, I went through a few years ago, like three or four years ago. I suddenly realized, oh my god, I'd seen some of these films when I was a kid, and I really liked them. And I remember my mom loving them. My mom is a big cineast. She loves movies. She took me to see Tati. Her favorite film of all time is like Amar Kord by Fellini. I mean, she had mm. good taste, but she also also loved 
uh, Moscow on the Hudson and down and out in Beverly Hills and all these, and she took me to them as a kid. And I, then I thought, oh, Paul Mussorgsky, wow. This was actually before he passed away. I, 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 I that year before, so I was so sad to see him, you know, that, that, that he, he, he died. It was very sad because I was Harry and Tonto, Next oh, yeah. Stop Greenwich Village, Bloom and Love. I mean, there were a lot of great films and, and uh, Alex in Wonderland with, with Donald Sutherland. It's the kind of a weird cult film. That, 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 uh, yeah, I would not call it. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like, it's a interesting. Filmmaker, but, but the yeah. point is like he did very, very personal films out of the yeah. spirit of the late 60s and early 70s of, again, what we started out talking about, like someone who comes from a more marginal kind of perspective on society, but where it's allowed to work with the bigger machine and get yeah. his films out there and, be kind of political and have satire going on. I, I don't know. I, I anyway, I just wanted to ask you guys because I feel that uh, we haven't maybe in in the film environment talked at least where I am in Europe not talked enough about him. It's I good, I gotta say, well, Joe, American. I, I don't think he's come up on this show ever, and we've done Jesus, I don't know, a couple hundred of these now. It's like I think it's the first time Mazursky's come up. Wouldn't you say? I don't re recall him coming up, no. Yeah. Although we may have talked about Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice at some point. Yeah, it's possible. Classic of a certain amazing, amazing film. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah, it's funny because I was, I was more inclined to kind of like his films before and not in a kind of snotty, you know, Nirvana's first album's better, but, <laughs> but I, when he sort of went Hollywood, if you will, those movies left me a little bit cold, things like Moscow and the Hudson and, and Down and Out in a way that, um, you know, even, you know, I was scoffing at Alex in Wonderland, but Alex in Wonderland is a deliriously insane mess that's kind of fun to watch, you know? <laughs> it's an experimental movie. You know? Yeah. 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 Then, there's, yeah. then there's The Pickle. Uh, the Pickle, yes. The I pickle. actually haven't seen The Pickle. I haven't seen that. That was You're, you're okay. Stuff. You're all right. It's okay. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to see that one. Wait, when you've seen everything, when there's yeah. nothing left to see. Then you can oh, see The Pickle. Uh, but, but Harry and Tonto, I think, is a great film about America. Uh. Yeah, just the, the, the an old you know uh, Art Carney being thrown out of his flat. What is it? Queens or Brooklyn? And taking his cat under his arm and saying, "Well, let's go across America and, and and see my kids that live around you know all the way out to California." And it's like a journey through America at the time. What is it? I presume it's 1974, 75, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and, 74. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm thinking like. Okay, you know, here's here's someone with a perspective. And I was thinking about it. I saw a, a, a great film by Mike Mills called Come On, Come On, which yes, was I kind of, that. yeah, I really like with Wacken Phoenix. And that's also like this looking at a place, going through America, looking, yeah. at, looking at what's going on. And that sense that films can report on the present and yet be seen 20 years from now. And we will look back at, at them as time capsules. I think Francis Coppola did a picture attack. called The Rain People in the 69, oh, which yeah, was yeah, uh, basically considered, it was a, it was made on the road. It was like one of the first movies that used Fouad Said's uh, road uh, stuff to shoot movies with. And uh, he was writing it as he went along. And so it's, it's a, it's a portrait of America, but of course, when he was done, he had five hours worth of stuff and he had to decide which story the robert duvall story or the shirley knight story or the you know i have to decide which story am i gonna focus on and i'm i even he wasn't sure that he picked the right story uh but it's it, and it was a studio picture for warner brothers which is you know back in the days when you could make a picture like that for a studio well that you, those days are gone sorry i was just losing my mind a minute ago because art carney's 56 years old in harry and tonto <laughs> he always looks a little older <laughs> 
<laughs> he looks like he's quite a bit like, older. Yeah. They must have put makeup on him. They must have. Please <laughs> he's like tell the me. old, the iconic old man. In that yeah, movie. he's like a senior citizen in that film. <laughs> God damn it. They made the cat look older too. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Good God. But um uh yeah, no, but she's really, really interesting. Um uh, it's funny, yeah, and, and also popping up as an actor, he was a sort of interesting presence too, because he was. Um, he started as an actor. That's right. Yeah, he, he worked with Kubrick, didn't he? Did he work with Kubrick? Yeah, yeah, he, he was had in like, uh, Fear and Desire. Yeah, Fear and Desire. Oh wow, way back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I suppose I read his autobiography, uh, and he, he said, and, and he actually mentions like, "Oh, I thought I had it made," you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he started writing. I think he wrote for Peter Sellers. Was it What's Up? What's new pussycat? Am I correct? I'm not on Google here now. So he, uh, I hope I'm not saying the wrong thing. Uh, I, I, well, I, Paul didn't have oh, Matt May Idol's looks, so I didn't. As I, I love you, Alice was... B. Toklas. Yes, oh, that's, that's the one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Which is which is kind of cool. I'm actually I'm I'm in Venice now, and we were renting a house here while I'm out here in LA. And yeah, I, I think about that because that's that's a real LA late 60s Venice Beach kind of film. Isn't yeah. It? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, Speaking of psychedelia, <laughs> and, yeah, and trippy movies. So that's uh, no. Anyway, like that's I, I. Again, I think a show like this. What's wonderful about what you guys do is to try to bring into prominence also some of those, you know, people that we love, but maybe that is not a part of the mainstream canon when we look back at film history. You know, and and it's hard for me to know as a Norwegian. But anyway, Paul Masursky was someone I. I'm I'm glad to hear you guys. You know. Still thinks he's got some. There was some hits in there, and I hope that yeah. the listeners will pick up. Harry Tonto is a good place to start, isn't it? I think so. I have not seen it since it came. Since I was a child, but I and I don't know why, but I, I do want to go back to that because I remember just being knocked out by it, you know, at seven years old or whatever the hell I was. But but uh, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, I, I um, next stop Grange Village was uh, impossible to see for many many years, and it finally just got re-released a couple of years ago. And uh, I think there's a Blu-ray of it, um, and that was that's a really interesting movie. I mean, just just amazing collection of characters and um, yeah, and it's also mapping out an era in New York that's gone, just like he also did LA. You know, it was a real LA. I, I like a lot of filmmakers uh, that have a sense of place or specific specifically. It shows me a place. That's mm -hmm. theirs, you know. You have a lot of that in America, um, and like if someone like uh, Michael Mann in Heat makes a super gangster film that yeah. I still watch again and again, and it has a special vibe around LA mm -hmm. that not so many other films have, for example. Oh, he or, knows or, Los Angeles. I mean, yeah. there's times when there's some, you know, you'll have found some strange little out of the way place in a part of town that nobody ever goes but to that, and you'll think you're special. Movie, and then it's in a Michael Mann movie. That movie yeah. isn't that old. And in most of the places that he shot it are gone. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. They're well, out right of that was 95 or something, wasn't it? Mid 90s. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. And then Collateral kind of does that too. There's a lot of amazing yeah. locations yeah. in that. And um, there's also, if you, I, I don't feel there's a wonderful, Three hour, three and a half hour documentary joke called LA Plays Itself. You know I've it's seen from? it. Yes. That, yes. It, 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 it talks about Bunker Hill and all these. I yeah. am really yeah. into this uh, about like, yes, place and cinema. And, well, and film I, I noir is a great place to start. A lot, oh, of, yeah. a lot of pictures from the late 40s, early 50s are all shot around that area. Great. Yeah. Great. And then I recently, it's so hard to find here. I got a hold of, I think it's a French Blu ray of Joseph Losey's um, remake M. of M. Yeah. 
which if you want locations, if you want LA wow. locations, it's, um, it's Bunker the LA Hill, movie. It is. it is. Yeah. Yeah. The Bradbury building is practically it, a coast. Every character actor in, in Hollywood is. In wow. I haven't seen that. Okay. That's oh, it's really good. Go. It's, oh, it's, wow. it's not, it's not the, it's not the Lang movie, but it's the same sure, story. Sure. Well, it's amazing. Uh, and then there's a, um, I want to say, oh, I'm going to, I can't remember. Uh, there's an Argentinian remake as well, which they showed at the cinema tech a few years ago. And I'm hoping somebody will get released, but it just, it feels like every, remake of M is magnificent. <laughs> it's yeah. something about that story. I've only I seen one, so I'll get on yeah. that. <laughs> you will not be sorry. You will not be sorry. Yes. I'll do the Norwegian M then. That's that's on my list then. <laughs> yes. Um uh, but your I mean your film made great use of locations too. I mean I felt like I was I was living there, you know, in that especially oh, the we know more about Oslo than we did before. Oh, for good, sure. good. No, yeah. I'm happy. I'm yeah. happy. No, yes. but I care about. I mean, it's always a weird thing to sit, you know, on a podcast in America to talk too detailed about. But to be honest, I, I actually do care about the consequences of someone being at a party in a certain part of town in, the, in my film and then walking down a street. I don't want to put them somewhere completely different. I'm actually trying to, to stay coherent. Well, and in, Los, in Los Angeles movies, they don't pay any attention to. That. Got it. No, no. Which actually, but, but, you know, oh, go ahead. No, but I think like Spike Lee, you know, another favorite of mine, or 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 Woody Allen would care, and I think Martin Scorsese would care. I mean, a lot of the New York people, or and in Paris, I, I don't think I, I don't know Paris well enough, but Francois Truffaut wouldn't probably cheat too much. I think at least not in the Antoine Duanel films because they're about a time and a place, you know, mm -hmm. and their reports on that. And we look back at them as historical bits, like a, a shared memory. And so that's why I care, because when I grew up, no one made films in Norway that or very few, at least I shouldn't say no one, but the, the, there were a few exceptions, but that really cared about Oslo as a city. So I would look at complete sort of mainstream, silly gangster comedies. And I still look at them and I don't look at the characters of the story, but I look at the backgrounds like, oh, my yeah. God. That place where I go to this hip bar now, there was just a factory, you know, like, and that's what films can do too. I think that, that brings me to a filmmaker I wanted to ask you about because yeah. um, I felt like Thelma certainly um, maybe think you are at least uh, have seen this man's work, maybe hopefully a fan, but because um, I remember one of the few films that I ever saw get shot in my hometown was in Philadelphia was Brian De Palma's Blowout, and I remember being so outraged when I saw the film that it just the geography of that movie is insane to the point that at one point he runs into even if you've never been to philly you'll get this he runs in the front door of 30th street station and he is now at 15th street station oh, okay, okay <laughs> and got he, it. yeah he does the, he drives through city hall which is impossible and all this crazy stuff but um yeah because uh, i Thelma, love brian de palma i love I, brian de palma i adore him i, I seriously and what if Oh, what an awesome filmmaker and listen you're smart because what you did now was you just jumped the conversation over the fence into someone who's about imaginations, the fantastical, the constructed. And I've gotten, I dug myself into a hole of kind of a <laughs> sense of reporting and realism. And now you, and I love that other thing. I love Hitchcock. I love the Palma. I love that someone could take me into an imagined world and deep, deep into that imagined world. There's also truth and horror and weird things that we can learn from as human beings, you know, and I think blowout my father being a sound designer and uh, movies. Oh, wow. You know, I love that film. I love that film. And it, it also refers back to one of my all time favorites, Antonioni, that did blow up. Obviously, yeah. you know, Brian De Palma shows through his cinema. He's film savvy. 
He knows film history. I have read that he was a big film buff and oriented about the 60s French uh, new wave. So as I, but it's wonderful to see how cultures, Europe and America and Japan and many cultures are, are, are building on each other in cinema, you know? And I think Brian De Palma is a great example of, of someone who, who's done so many things. And also like Scarface is a great gangster movie, probably my favorite genre. To be honest, if I if I if I look at genres, the gangster movie is always really? about family or uh, figuring out relationships, and they're always the good ones. Always about sort of hybris and 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 camaraderie and character material, and and therefore quite psychologically advanced. The best of them, in, in sometimes very perverted ways, like Tony <laughs> Montana. It's not like anyone I know, but as a sort of a metaphor of, a, of an extreme human being, what an interesting character, you know. So. Carrie, wonderful classic, uh, you know, body double, fascinating. I, I really, you know, I watched that as a teenager time and time again and had to admit that in the middle of all that weird, gory violence, there was also a sense of beauty and eroticism, you know. And, Brian and, Palmer, fu and fun. And fun, <clears throat> humor, yeah. and, and, you know, I agree. And, and a lot of an early, early rock video in it. That's right. Oh, does, for, for, right. Yes, relax, which makes no it's sense true. at all. Much Frankie like goes everything. To Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. But for no reason, they're making a porno film that turns into a Frankie Goes to Hollywood video. And nothing in that movie makes sense, but it all works. That's the, that one's, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that one. And I love that um, the end of the movie, do you remember this? It, 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 to me, it was a key into something, to thinking about cinema, because at the end of the film, because he has, saved the day even though no one has seen him save the day and by all rational logic he should still be the primary suspect for this murder he's not only absolved but he somehow has given his job back on the movie that he was fired that's from. True. <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense uh, that's, so that's, that's not how life works yeah, no, no. all movies yeah. are dream sequences yes and, and he, yeah, he gets yeah. that more than a lot i'm also a fan of some of the later stuff femme fatales and Bonkers. Yeah, delightful, delightful movie. But now I think it's kind of more full circling because I think that there is a link to Nicholas Rogue, like Femme Fatale, the mm -hmm. way that it breaks reality and jumps around and kind of you sense that the world is not an objectively verifiable sense of reality. It's something very subjective and, and yeah. dreamlike. You know, yeah. the, the dream or the memory as a premise for how we actually live our lives in our heads, you know? So I, yeah. he's, a, he's a great one at that. He's really, and spatially, I mean, something like Snake Eyes, I actually I want to see again. I saw it when it came out, I was very impressed by the spatial treatment, I guess you yes. say in English, you know? It's yeah. like fucking hard to do that stuff. And he does it yeah. well. He creates a story based on vantage points and the, yeah. the var variation of those in, in around one event. That's very complicated stuff, you know? Actually very intellectual, yet quite entertaining. You know, I, I like that. Yeah. I think that's Because cool. even, even in his sort of, I don't know, assignment films, his big Hollywood things, you can always get the sense that he came to play for, you know, whether it's Tom Cruise and that completely silent sequence in Mission Impossible or, you know, that, that uh, you know, the delightful uh, train station bit in uh, uh, Untouchables. Untouchables. But you know yeah. what? That, 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 uh, the Mission Impossible he did. I haven't seen it for a few years, but I, it, it's clearly my favorite. And there's been yeah. some great ones, but I, he's that was great. And yeah. I, actually, that that is very the opposite of how uh, I am working as a director. I always, you know, I'm always kind of protecting 
the, the subjective <laughs> vision and final cut and all of it, to be able to smuggle into a genre movie like that, such great craft and perspective and making yeah. a great movie. I, I'm very impressive. You should, read, uh, you should read the book about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's, a bit about that story. No, that's, but, oh my the, God. The book is really fascinating. I hear that's great. Eskil, my co-writer, has recommended it too. He says that's yeah. a great story of how terribly uh, well, complicated a film can get. Yeah, but it's 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 very insightful about all the people involved, some of whom I know. So uh, <laughs> okay. it's, uh, it's insightful is the word I'd use. <laughs> what is, I'm, 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 I, I'll read that. What what is I'm blanking? What is the um, Michael Caine Andrew Dickinson film? Oh, Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Thank you. Yes, that's also one of my real favorites. That is a in a weird way. Like if you look at Italian, like uh, Dario Argento or Fucci, or you're like seventies Italian horror films, and that it, they share so much. Again, I'm sorry for. Well, here's an here's another yeah. connection. Pino Donaggio, who did the music for yes. those pictures, also did the music for Don't Look Now. You are absolutely right. He did because when I hired him on Piranha, was he was—he had just oh, done Piranha, another great just one. done yeah. Don't Look Now, and I said, he, "Are you kidding me? Pino Donaggio is going to do a movie Piranha? Pino Donaggio does the best romantic swells. Oh, he's like, great! It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's he's, such he's wonderful. Great. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, how was he? I mean, you know, oh, he's a great guy. I, 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 you know, he, he. I didn't speak Italian. He didn't speak English at the time. I don't think he's. I still don't think he speaks English. Uh, and so we'd have to have an interpreter, you know, to, to work together. But I did two pictures with him, uh, but I couldn't go to the recording sessions because they were both B pictures and he recorded in, in, in Rome. Oh. So, so I would get this, uh, you know, we'd meet and we'd go over it and stuff and then he'd go and write it and, and send it back. And then I would just have to sort of go, okay, well, I guess this goes here and I guess this here. I made a couple of mistakes. I, I put a couple of places, things in the wrong place on Piranha, but, but he forgave me. <laughs> Uh, and then I got involved with Jerry Goldsmith, and 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 I, you know, Pino went on to, to work with Brian many times, yeah. uh, and he he's he does wonderful music. Pino, yeah. it's really great. That's great. But that's the connection because we started. Yeah, of with, course, you know, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I've listened to those soundtracks actually. That's great. Do you um do you uh, do you write to music? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when I say that, I mean to those out there who don't write movies they might think that we're like okay let's play that again for one and you know it's not like that it's what you yeah. just have music on in the background <laughs> but do, but do you i'm interested because you you're you brought up to that you're a music fan and, and yeah. um do you though uh do you curate at all what you're going to write to or is it just having music on no we curate we curate like with thelma we we went on a crazy yeah Donatio, I mean, we, we did Tangerine Dream a lot. We did the Goblin. I mean, we listened to a lot of interesting synth, uh, prog, uh, experimental music, stuff like that, um, while writing Thelma, because it, it brought us, it, it made us braver. And, and you're in the mood, you're in the zone of imagining those moods that you're yeah. aiming for. Uh, worst person in the world, it was different. You know, we, we listened, always loved Harry Nielsen, the, the great unsung hero, American sort of 70s, folk pop or whatever you want to call it, pop music yeah you know, actually i think it, we should just give him the honor and say pop because it's what it is and you know people like yeah, randy newman and harry nielsen and we use a bit of todd rundgren in the oh, film and, yeah i mean i mean i think there's um it was good to just listen to some of that bitter sweetness that you had a lot in your 60s and 70s music um 
So, so yeah, it, I think it's about mood and vibe more than it is lyrics or anything. To be honest, I listen to music primarily from the perspective of rhythmicality and melody. I, I'm not someone that sits and dissects Bob Dylan's lyrics, even though they're wonderful, you know, but uh, I, I like music for the musicality. Um, well, man, oh, Joaquin, um, thank you so much for, <laughs> for coming on. Uh, I had a sneaking suspicion this would be a delight and uh, you, you did not disappoint. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys. But uh, I hope you're enjoying your Los Angeles adventure, too. Uh, and, oh, and, man. And, and good luck at the awards. Oh, which thank is, you so much. Thank you so which, much. And which, listen, which although although they don't actually really mean anything, uh, they, they do have a certain cachet in the business. And it's a it's a it's a, a good thing for your career when you uh, get nominated. It, it don't hurt. Yeah, it's uh, no, we're very grateful. Thank you. And um, yeah, no, great to wake up. Sun is coming through the windshield you know, or through the windows here back in Norway where I live and I will go soon. It's winter and snowy and I'm out here talking to two film fans and we're, you know, I could go on for hours. So thanks for having me. Oh, yes, you. no, wonderful. And, and make make another one, come back. We'll talk about some more yeah. stuff. That would be, yes, please. That would always, be you're always invited. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.